We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a It's time to tell you about the 56th redundancy. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blackman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, 55 just became 56. And if you believe Raul's statement, it is purely COVID-related, and there is nothing else it had to do with. And Raul said that he is gone from Arsenal. The 56th redundancy, perhaps, or perchance something else? I don't know. You'd probably have to ask Tim Lewis. But setting that all aside, there's also news about a Gabrielle signing. We'll talk about Aubameyang potentially signing his new deal uh, as he tweets out purely a... Um, a hourglass emoji. Paul and I will debate whether that hourglass was half full or half empty. That'll be the last 55 minutes of the podcast, so you don't want to miss that. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Did the smart thing and got the salacious emotional reaction to Raul leaving out on the Patreon podcast so I can protect myself from, how shall I say this, legal liability and just get into the facts and the repercussions of Raul's departure today. But if you want to hear uh, the emotional ranting and raving, along with the quite excellent Tim Stillman section on Edu and his background at Corinthians and uh, and the Brazil national team, you're certainly welcome to do that on the Patreon side. But we're going to cover it all right here all over again. Clive, I'll just start with you. Forget why. Forget Tim Lewis's investigation and and whether anything was toured or untoward. Can things be toured or just untoward? I don't know. We'll leave that for Tim when he comes back. Point is, what is your view of Raul leaving as it impacts Arsenal uh, going forward? I think 
I think uh, there's been a few little rumours out there, let's be honest, right? We can say that amongst friends. <laughs> there's been a few little rumours out there. But we don't know we don't know what to believe. So just move on, right? We focus on the football, focus on the game, focus on the club moving forward. And then suddenly something broke last week and there's some rumours flying around about Raul going and then it happened. And it's been quite interesting watching the reaction. A lot of people have been saying, oh, this needs to happen and it's been quite optimistic and people are thinking we're cleaner organisation going forward. I did, you know, even I didn't see this coming so quickly. I'll, I'll be honest with you, just be straight. You know, that we get a lot of people online, a lot of people on podcasts, and they know it all all of a sudden. Well, I didn't know this. I didn't know it was coming. <laughs> I, you know, we, we, we know stuff. Well, you're not a gerbil, time. are you? So you have to yeah. be on Twitter to get that reference, yeah, by the way. Did you? Did you really know it all? Great, great. You know, no surprise, it looks clean. When you look back, when you look back at it, organizationally wise, it does look a little bit cleaner. And I think. Like when you have a situation when a, a big pillar goes like Bengo, there is a vacuum there, people jostle. Um, in my own working life, I've seen situations where you have dual heads of big departments. And what generally happens is people align themselves to people within that duality, per se. And in the end, up with somebody stronger coming to the top. So when you have a dual head, it's always a. They try to smile next to each other, but trust me, there's always something going on. There's always something going on. And, and it looks like V9 with his history in the club has come out. I'll say come out on top, but organisationally it looks cleaner. I think the thing with Edu is I think it's what's really done for Raul, apart from the other things that we can suspect, which is we just don't know enough. I think Edu has cleverly aligned himself to Arteta very quickly. He moved his office to the training ground and made himself the football guy. Brought his relationship with uh, with Arteta really close, and if you come in from the outside, like say Tim Lewis did, and you have a look at the organisation, you're looking around for some fat to trim, and we'll say this, we keep it at this level for now, then suddenly Raúl is looking a little bit like, is he operating the way we want him to? Do we actually need him in the structure? Is there duplication? Is there the alignment to how we want to operate going forward? Is there the alignment to the manager? Is there alignment to our values? And maybe there wasn't, and an opportunity was taken, and Arsenal have taken it. And we'll talk later, no doubt, about reputations and what happens next. And I've got some ideas there, but I'm okay with it. I generally am okay with stuff, and I like to see it play out. But I'm okay with it, and you know the reasons why you're there, but which we cannot go into unless you want to see me in an orange jumpsuit, which I know you don't want to. No, look, it's not criminal liability. It's you're just going to be lighter in the pocket. It's really no big deal. But Clive, I mean, I, I'll love with you, Clive. I imagine you look good in orange. Do you ever wear any orange? <laughs> no, mate. You don't want to see the that'd be the biggest orange in the history of mankind. So no, you don't want to see me. You don't want to see me look like that. <laughs> okay, so s- setting that aside. Uh, it, Paul, why don't I let you start the wild speculation? And uh, yeah, yeah. where I where I want to take this is is not necessarily where you think I'm going in terms of impropriety. But the interesting thing is that the club and the man himself have put out mutually glowing statements. They adore each other, if you believe the things they've written. The club could not be happier with Raul, and Raul could not be happier with the club. And in fact, went so far as to say this is only because of COVID. We have no one to blame but COVID, certainly not him or anything he did during his time in the position. And the club, to some extent, seemed to be echoing that, um, which certainly makes you wonder why get rid of him at all. <laughs> but but um, what's weird, though, is the reporting 
It does not line up with that. Now, I know there are people listening to this podcast right now who are just always and forever suspicious of reporters being wrong about everything. And I want to be clear about saying, I get that. They don't get it right all the time. And especially when it comes to transfer rumors, it is a mess. And the standard of reporting is not always super high. And so it is easy to write off things that are being reported. But let's face it. There's some briefing and there's some things going on to the media and people talking to the media, giving them stories about like the Cronkies not loving that the Williams signing happened at Kia Drabchian's house and that Raul had to be present for certain negotiations, wouldn't let himself be taken out of the loop or that Canales had to be involved in certain things and that certain intermediaries felt they had to go to Canales or Drabchian to bring to bring up client re-signing. Like, there's a lot of reporting, Paul, about things that the Cronkies didn't like and that the club weren't happy with, and that Raul had sort of brought the t- traditional Spanish model of power grabbing and, and jostling and positioning to Arsenal, and that didn't sit well. So how do you square the public-facing attempts to be so mutually respectful with the reporting? Do you have a tendency to believe one side of the story more than the other, that the truth lies somewhere in between? How do you reconcile the, the the public statements from both sides with the, the reporting that seems to be pretty well sourced. I mean, I, I, I totally understand being skeptical of, of some reporting. That's your own business. But I think we have to say that there's somebody talking. So how do you square those two things? Um, so to me, it's uh, I'm very clear in my own mind what happened. I could be wrong, but I don't have a lot of prevarication, if that's still a word. Uh, blogs. Are they taking his... words out of the dictionary now? I'm not aware. <laughs> <laughs> blogs um, in his uh, in his, uh, his his daily missive from whenever it was, maybe Friday, said that uh, he'd received a text from a, tr- a source he trusted uh, back in the towards the end of the Unai Emery reign to say uh, Unai Emery's gone. And Raul will be shortly after him, or they'll both go together, or something. And you know, blo- I mean, blogs is solid. By the and- by the way, his post. I think it was the Saturday post after Raul was gone. What yeah. I will tell you is, if you haven't read it, read it. It is absolutely sensational in its ability to just meticulously lay out the timeline and the things that happened, and really get you to reflect on, at least in my view, reflect on the tenure and why it was problematic. So I, I definitely recommend reading that. Yeah, well, I wouldn't go that far, but it was good. Um, so <laughs> making he, friends he, as always. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, you know, he was early on Raúl and correct. He was early on Gazidis in terms of the issues that were coming through. And I remember having a couple of conversations with those because he was there before I was. And I'm like, uh, do we really not? Do you not like him, or do you, are you hearing rumblings? And he was hearing rumblings. <clears throat> mm. Um. Raul, everything about him was not Arsenal. And the more, I, I don't think he could help himself. I think we went back to the analogy of what the scorpion and the frog or whatever, mm-hmm. right? He, the, more, uh, the more leeway he had, the more Raul at Barcelona he became. And I think there's just a massive way of doing business that doesn't sit right at Arsenal and wouldn't sit right with the crankies. I think I said that a couple of times, that they have to know all the shit that we know and more, and they can't be okay with it. And I just think it got to a level where, I mean, it's nothing to do with cost-cutting. A million here or there uh, paid to the top man. And it's not not like we probably won't have to go and get somebody at some stage to fill in a gap here. Um, 
and if it was cost cutting, you would have gone with the 55, as as Giant Gooner pointed out when he was looking at it. You know, 55 unpopular firings, one popular one that almost counterbalances them, and would have made the point: look, we're 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 taking cuts to lean out the organization because it has to be done. You know, there's bleeding from everywhere, the executives and employees. Nobody is spared, kind of thing. But that's not what they went with. So clearly, in the in the the last week or so, they got their shit together, made their decision, and had gave them the old heave ho. But they had to do it in a way that uh, they're still going to need to be on okay terms in the future because this guy could well pop up <clears throat> at some other major European club or on some panel or some other shit. And before you know it, we have to deal with him. So it was a necessity with the European Super League or FIFA or UA, sorry, UEFA or any other uh, activity going on that you don't fall out with this guy because he is a power player. He is he's always the one thing he does have is his relationships to other powers that be, other clubs, um, uh, super agents, and people who have power within the game. So we had to, we have to and had to get out of this as qu- quickly as possible. And as cleanly as possible. But clearly this was just an absolutely fucking terrible fit for the club. And uh, the the fact, the thing that makes me think that there's nothing truly illicit at the end of the day was because it's so obviously out in the public that he just thinks this is how business is done. Yeah, a bit dodgy, a bit shady or whatever, but not not illegal, not not corrupt, not whatever except it just stinks so bad in an Arsenal context. And it, you know, this, this couldn't happen. Uh, it, I mean, it must be fascinating to wonder what Arteta thought of it all, because he's got to look at this and think, what the fuck? Um, and, and like his whole position in the, the hierarchy has just shut up. I mean, he's got to be, you know, uh, Vinay is kind of the silent man. Edu uh, only sticks around if Arteta's happy with him. I mean, uh, Arteta's got to have a clear path to uh, the Cronkies at this stage and has to be by far the most solid piece of our whole constellation. I'm not saying Vinay's in any doubt, but, but uh, you know, uh, in terms of, of uh, leverage and whose stock is high and highest. I mean, Arteta's kind of the man, so it's been an interesting week. Tim Lewis, I guess, is your, your other candidate, the only guy more stable in this situation than Arteta because he's not his performances won't be judged apart from on this. I mean, he's the man. And so be very interesting to see how his role develops. Yes, he's non-executive, but uh, and he's he's oversight, and lo and behold, a month after he come comes along, shit hits the fan, uh, or is scraped off. It maybe it hit it a while ago. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, there's so many weird twists and turns to this story, and one of them, Clive, is Chris Wheatley putting out a tweet literally moments ago. Um, saying that Arsenal have sent a statement to the media, quote, we want to be clear to all media that there's been no investigation by the club into the Nicolas Pepe transfer. To suggest that there has been an investigation is grossly inaccurate and unfair, and we request you remove it from your coverage. We have informed our lawyers, and we'll take further action as necessary. Clubs don't often throw thinly veiled threats to 
sue journalists for defamation. Fatly veiled. Yeah, fatly veiled, to be fair. Right. Um, Especially just given the volume of incorrect reporting that that is out there from time to time. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how to take this, but look, Tim Lewis was investigating something. They admitted it. They said Tim Lewis is investigating the finances at the club. He's investigating. I mean, it was out in the out in the open. Now, I mean, I wonder, Clive. So I have sort of two questions here, which is one: Why is the club making this big an effort to make sure that that reporting is walked back and denied? And two, if that's the case, then you know, was Tim Lewis literally just trying to see where to trim the fat? Is he potentially eyeing up the club for sale? I mean, how do you? How do you spend the Tim Lewis involvement and certainly, you know, the the what is the reasoning for Arsenal to go this big with distancing themselves and trying to get the the media to walk back reporting on the Pepe transfer? Yeah, it's, it's, it's consistent, really. We've been discussing this for a while. And one of the things we've said before is that we feel that we're vulnerable to these people, to players, to agents, to anybody who wants to take money out of our club. I, I felt that players have hoodwinked the club and stayed too long. I think the execs have not done their job, not been not been sharp enough. We, we, then, and Tim nailed it on the Patreon pod. I totally agree with him. I was as I was walking, listening to you guys. I actually got a preview of what it's like not being on the pod. I'm thinking, I hope, <laughs> I hope someone says this. I hope, I hope someone says this. And Tim said it. And of course, it was just Tim. A, no one of us. This is a byproduct of having an absent owner. It's as simple as that. And once you have an absent owner and someone not looking after everything. You can waste money. And, it, and it's obvious we've wasted money. And then once you know there's wasted money, you then worry about the motivation for wasting that money. Now, the moment Tim Lewis came on board, there was a little article that was out there by somebody, I can't remember who now, saying that he was come from Clifford Charles, but he was involved with the Cronkies when they took their when they took their loans out and when they got involved with the majority ownership. And from the moment I saw that, I went, aye, aye, oversight. Straight away, and I said it, I called it oversight. They've got their own man in there now looking after the pounds and pence. And so there's going to be no more wastes. And all Tim Lewis is doing is doing what anybody that's doing is protecting his boss, making sure that everything is tight and sharp and there is no wastage. And he's just doing a classic consultancy review of Arsenal. It's not an investigation. This is what clubs do. They look around, they do organisational excellence reviews, and they make sure that they are working optimally. And this is what's happening. And I, and I said it on the weekend, I said, I'm really glad. I don't want Arsenal to be taken advantage of. I don't want us to be a laughing stock. I don't want us to be overpaying. I want people to act appropriately, and I want to trust them. And Tim Lewis has come in, and he seems to be doing that job, and, and we need it. But the real issue is, is our ownership model. We're just a we're just this thing over here. Obviously, COVID's come along, and and Josh can't get over as regularly as he would like to normally, and there's a bigger distance there, and it just leaves us vulnerable to people who are just jostling for power. And once you have that sort of scenario in place, then you literally are open to rumor and conjecture. And I, and I heard Andrew and James talking today, and there were so many different scenarios they were discussing. And that tells me we're in a mess. We're in a mess. We're not clear. There's no clarity. We're in a mess. What I do like about this is we're not drifting anymore. We're doing stuff. 
we're changing stuff. We're looking at the youth recruitment. We're looking at the major recruitment. Organisation, we seem to have a brick missing. I've got an idea there. But we are doing something. We're not letting it happen to us any longer. And I like that. And it is messy and it is public. And it does make people nervous. And I'd much rather be talking about the construct of our midfield. But we need to do this first. We need to get our stuff together because I want to trust the people behind the club. And we know we've known stuff in the background for months and we don't say anything because we can't. But I feel a little bit more... I trust the club a little mm. bit more today than I did last week. Is what all I will say. No, right? I, and, I agree um, with that. Yeah, and and that's a that's a good step, and we need to build on that. Look, there are things we can do, right? But there are, we need to build on this first step. There's two. There's two issues at play. One is Raúl going, and whether that's a good thing for the club. And two is why he went. The why he went becomes interesting because there's some there's some subterfuge going on here there's there's something behind it that seems interesting and exciting and and that's going to wind up being a big talking point but the more important thing for arsenal is i think a guy who is bad for the club is gone and i like it is hard because i want to dig into the why because the why is very curious and interesting but the the ramifications for the club i think are are unambiguous unambiguously positive that this guy was not good for the club that the overall legacy of his tenure was negative net negative and whether it's his involvement in trying to extend emery's deal or actually switching from arteta to emery at the time we signed him some reporting that he he had involvement in that some of the ways that agents were used some of the moves some of the people that were chased away from the club some of the reported distancing of of departments that are involved in player recruitment so that he could be more at the focal more the focal point of it and the jostling for power like it's all good that he's gone the why while potentially more intriguing, is less important than the fact that he is gone. And Paul, for that reason, I will go back to the why just for one second. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think sometimes you just have to engage your brain from a logic standpoint. I'm not saying that there was any impropriety from a legal standpoint in the way things were done. But like, you've got a guy running the damn club, essentially running everything. He's put himself at the nexus of all of the things happening at the club. It is the middle of a transfer window that is absolutely maddeningly chaotic. Football's going to be back in a couple weeks. Like, it is the most difficult summer transfer window, arguably, in history, given all the timing and the situation with COVID and all of that. And you get rid of this guy right in the middle of it. Right after... Williams announced, essentially, within you know less than two weeks of Tim Lewis being appointed to oversee everything. The idea that they were just like, we can get a little leaner and more streamlined, so I think Raul should go and it should go right now. <laughs> like, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, normally you'd say, okay, you know what? We have a lot of deals in the works. If they like Raul as much as they say they did, what a normal organization would do is say, okay, Raul, look, we are going to need to streamline. Um, We'd like you to take us through this window and talk about, you know, some terms of how we could separate at the end of that because, you know, unfortunately, I think we're just going to make this position non-existent anymore. You could say, well, Elliot, that's speculation. Fine, it's speculation. But, like, the fact that this guy went right now, middle of the window, within two weeks of Tim Lewis investigating the or, you know, researching the how the finances are in the club and with, with deals in the works, it just something about that makes no sense to me if the parties really liked each other as much as is reported. This feels much more like a straw on the camel's back that was broken. And I don't know if that straw was the Cronkies catching on to the Willingham deal and being like, this just doesn't seem right, or whether it was the internal power 
grabbing that that's being reported or whether it was um you know proximity to intermediaries or whatever the case may be it feels a lot more like straw breaking camelback all of that stuff and and that tim lewis maybe unearthed some more details that the Cronkies wanted clarification on before making this decision. Again, pure speculation. But if they loved each other as much as they reported, the idea that he would go in the middle of the window seems weird to me. So, Paul, I will ask you now the ramification of this, which is Adu now comes to the fore. Mm-hmm. He is now in charge of this process. Mm-hmm. I think it is fair to say that Raul had put himself at the center of everything. Not to say that Adu wasn't doing anything, but that Raul certainly had created a... a, a, a primacy to his role in all of this we've got a lot to do we've got a squad that needs a lot of work we've already made one move for a 32 year old winger and you know whether you like it or you don't like it that move is done um Aubameyang needs to be re-signed which potentially might be imminent defense midfield there's a lot to do and Adu now has to do it without Raul there how how do you think this impacts us in the very near term in this window in terms of Adu taking over midstream, you know, Raul, that position going away right in the middle of a transfer window. I mean, what do you think the the implications are? And do you think maybe some of the deals we might have been looking at or some of the moves that might have been contemplated could get scrapped and we could just go a totally different direction with Raul gone? So, uh, look, it's not ideal, given that he if he was nothing else, he was a deal maker. Um. And, you know, we're potentially talking to Lille for Gabriel. We, uh, we understand he was taking the lead with Aubameyang um, and his relationships would have been key to making something like part, Partey happen. Um, on the other hand, they did it now because they had to. And my my bet is that he having a bit of a warlord mentality in terms of control and ownership and and power and territory... They just had to get rid of him because it was toxic and it was gumming up the works. And this is a critical window. We've got no, we don't have a single penny to waste. And each move has to be executed uh, correctly. And they just couldn't have the organizational dysfunction internally to put up with this bullshit any further. Tim Lewis comes in, Mr. Crisp, clean, uh, legal, uh, cojones oversight and within a couple of weeks says on your bike pal uh, but you know was it a review let's face it he was brought in to do a job he's basically clean it up fix it he knew he probably knew what he was doing before he ever arrived there's no way everybody in this organization do, doesn't know what was going on then i had to know every fucking thing right um edu has to know um, and so Edu's tight, hopefully with Arteta, we hear that obviously he was brought in by Raul and there's, there's the unholy triangle with Kia, but if he's done one thing, right, he read the, the writing on the wall months and months ago. Um, if, if the rumblings were there from towards the end of last year, that Raul was, was on thin ice, then if Edu was smart, he aligned himself uh, with Arsenal, with the club, and with Arteta, and with our objectives, and has kept his nose clean. And maybe we wondered for a while why he's been so quiet, and maybe this is why. It's just a question of distancing, keeping his nose clean, focusing on the objectives and his job, and that's what it's all been about for him in recent times. And he can come out of this relatively untarnished 
I uh, hope that's what's happening going forward. Now, what was the question again? Beats me. <laughs> yeah. So, so a critical window, but all the targets are in place, let's be honest. And while on the surface it might seem bad that Raul's gone, I bet it's really, really good that he's gone. And that's why it's happened. If they could have done it with the 55, they might have. But maybe maybe it just it's oil and water. These were two different things. Even if they could have done it a week ago for PR purposes, maybe they wouldn't have because you just you don't mix this. You know, it, one thing was a very serious matter to be taken seriously um, c- concerning employees and them being treated well and properly, etc. Maybe they had to get that out of the way. And the next thing was, you know, like something out of Sopranos, they had to bring What's-His-Face into the back room, put him on the butcher's block, get the choppy things, chop him up, put him in the bag, drive him out to the woods. And those are two things you don't do on the same day or in the same week. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is a guy who is still at the club and he's got to do it all. Clive, what do you think of Edu? Um, I, the, I want him to be as good as I, as he used to be when he was going for our midfield. I want him to be everything. I'm going to hold my thoughts really for now. Um, he needs to be good. He needs to be good for the manager basically. And that's how we're going to judge him. He's obviously, he's aligned himself with him. So the manager's going to, he's going to put demands on him and he needs to produce. And so let's have a look, right? If he doesn't produce, we'll all know. He needs to produce. If I may do now, I'll be really... This is the smartest thing he can do. The smartest thing he can do is to replace that Jason Rosenfeld guy. You know the guy, the head of the stats guy? I, I am replace him. Mm-hmm. Replace him and make him part of your... Make it a, a triangle. Make it a threesome. Right? Make it that. <laughs> I'm always open to that. <laughs> <laughs> make it that. Because straight away, you change the direction of the club with one hire. Bang. Mm. Make him prominent. Then everyone, everybody, including you and all the half the people in Discord, are going to be buzzing straight away. They're going to say, this is the direction we need to go. This is far more like it. Yes, we might be using video a lot more. Yes, we're going to use data a lot more. Don't just say it. We've actually put an action plan in place and hired somebody. And he's going to be a, play a big part in our decision making and he's going to be prominent. I would do that straight away. And mm. that smartens everything up. That's what you do in business, right? You take somebody out who's taking one direction. You replace them with somebody else who's going to take you another direction, a more modern direction. And so we also know what happened with Michael Edwards at Liverpool. But we haven't really got that person. That person is not prominent, right? So if we really are moving away from the Black Book, let's move away from it with a higher. That's what I would do. Mm. How about you, Paul? I mean, how how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think that's all right. Um, I think it would be, I guess I didn't hear too much in our recent positionings with the getting rid of the 55 that made me think that's what we're doing. Um, and they must have known it was in the mail that uh, Raul was on the chopping block. So, But they still allowed those messages to circulate or even circulated themselves that we're more contact-led. We, we don't see the need for the, you know, they really let it, uh, float around that we're kind of we're anti-science we're all about relationships we're working with the agents now that might not have been the club's messaging but they haven't done a lot to dissuade us that actually they're moving further into the the uh, data metrics space that they're the 
video scouting is the way. You know, that's, that stuff we got uh, more from Ted uh, Knutson than we did from the club. Why isn't? Why aren't they briefing? Uh, everybody that no no you've got you know if they can go out there and threaten to sue the arse off every media person <laughs> for uh, mentioning the word investigate uh, on internal dealings I'm sure they could have found a couple of people to hype up our stat DNA our our new approach our video you know video recruiting is the way video scouting blah 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 mm. and yet it's been strangely quiet on that I think, front. I think, Paul, and actually it's a, it's a really good point, but I think in Vinay's interview last week, he actually admitted that we need to be better at telling people what our plan is. I think um, Edu recently said that, you know, we want to be using data a little bit more, maybe as recent as last week. And I thought, that's a bit strange, considering you got Ralph doing his thing. We didn't believe it. Now maybe we might believe it, mm. right, if we do something in that direction. So... I do think your point is really well made. We need to hear from the club what the plan is and what our model's going to be. And we we probably tell people more about our model than any other club. But we've grown used to it. We have an expectation now. Because we've lost so many key people in the last two years, I think it's, it's inherent on the club that they must repeat that message and say, this is our direction, this is where we're going, and this is how we're going to recruit going forward. And we just need to execute on that message and really get that plan out there. We don't want to know the detail. We just want to know what we're all about. And yeah. I think it needs to sit alongside the values that we've all grown up with. And, okay, you need to you need to swim with the sharks, but maybe not as many, not not the way we were doing it. You know, we're, we're Arsenal Football Club. We haven't got to swim with just one shark. You know, we need to be yeah. really smart. And you would smart. hope that with, with Arteta per... And Edu, that they can get on the page. I mean, Arteta's background from City in recent times, uh, they in their own rights are top class in the use of metrics and scouting and all that kind of stuff. So he's got to think that that's the future. Her, from a, an academy standpoint, has to be totally on that page. And, you know, that should be enough with Edu, uh, who, who's young enough, smart enough, uh, Etc. To for the three of them, for at least the short to medium term, to set a path that says more data, more metrics, more science, less relationships. Now there's there's some looming questions out there, and the the whole Kia thing. Hopefully, uh, somehow he goes by the by with all of this shit. Um, I mean, it's in Forbes, it's in all the newspapers. I mean, the most the second most hated name of an employee at Arsenal isn't Raul, it's Kia Jurabjian. So hopefully this puts the kibosh on his comings and goings um, and his will. open door access. Um, if for no, I mean, justice must be done, but it must also be seen to done, to be done. And even if he did nothing, nothing, even if there was nothing wrong with his relationship with the club, um, it looked bad. And going forward, it'll look even worse if he's still knocking around. They, this hangover from Raul doesn't go away if Kia Jurabjian keeps showing up, waving, talking, talking like he's on the inside of things. That I guy can change. just. I think that'll off. change, Paul. I think that'll yeah. change, Paul. Yeah. So I tell you what, I tell you what, lads. You tell you what's happening to our club really quickly. We're looking quite young in the back room all of a sudden. You got Vin who's in his forties. You got we got the youngest manager in the Premier League. You got Ed who's it must be late thirties, early forties. So we we must be modernising. We have to. 
Do you know what I mean? This has to be a direction that we take. Suddenly, we're rebuilding the club with younger people, and it's. I think it's. I want to be positive because you know I'm. I'm a supporter. That's what we're meant to be, isn't it? I'm a supporter, so I want to be positive. But that does that does please me actually that we are rebuilding with some young bright people, and I hope they can be as good as we want them to be. Let me ask something, Clive. I mean, this is pure speculation territory, but mm-hmm. we do know that Kroenke and, and KSE in particular have massive exposure to liability to yeah. uh, COVID-19 related revenue downturns. I mean, do you, do you think the Tim Lewis involvement, the streamlining and all of the sort of goings on the, the redundancies, it's all just positioning the club on the p- potential path to being sold or at least exploring a sale? It could be. I mean, you know, you guys may know better than me what's happening to that stadium. I mean, that's a massive outlay, and personal cash has gone on to that stadium in LA, and there's no one sitting in there for a long time, right? So, well, not just sitting in there, because the thing is, for those who aren't aware of the Rams Stadium, it's not just a stadium; it is a small city, essentially. It is entertainment spots, it's movie theaters, it's it's strip malls, it's retail, you know, storefronts, and it, and it's things that are all held by the, you know, by KSE as as revenue generators, and almost all of it looks at least in the intermediate term, to be sitting vacant for a long time. Yeah, and there was massive overspend anyway on that. So now you just you you're just not get anything back for for a while. I mean, things things can change quickly with science. We all say hopefully, but he has an exposure. We know that, and it doesn't matter how many billions you are on paper. That's going to that's going to hurt. It could lead to something for Arsenal, and it could do. And and if it does, we can't look back and say that the Cronkies have made done everything right for us. I think if you look at what they've always done, all their sporting franchises, they're not really been quick sellers, but there's never been a period in our history like this. And this is our this is this generation's world war, right? So this is where we are. This is going to make it's gonna be a lots of changes to the football world, to the business world as we go forward. It's just not predictable. This was not in the metrics. So everything's on the table, isn't it? Everything's on the table. I don't think he was brought in for just that. I think this is well overdue oversight to how we're operating. And this has been going on for, for many, many years. And, and I, I, I'm pleased to see it, really pleased to see it. But really, the next steps now, how we move forward, is all what we care about. We're a football club and we want to see players going out and players coming in. And our manager happy because he is the golden child. He must be protected at all costs. He must be. He must be given the authority that he needs. He must be given the support he needs. And that's what Eddie's got to do, and he better not mess up because if he does, that's going to be a real problem. Yeah, I I got to tell you, I think Tim did a hell of a job in the Patreon pod sort of turning me from thinking that Edu might need to move on as well to feeling a lot more optimistic about him. And, Paul, you were on that pod as well, and I, I'm sure you probably came away with the same sense. I mean, the fact that Edu is still there certainly does point in the direction that maybe the club isn't as worried about Kia Drapshian ties as as we as fans might sort of conclude, given that Edu also has fairly close relationship with Kia, as we're aware. But do you want to maybe give your take, having heard what Tim had to say and just having had the chance to think about it, um, Edu's long-term prospects for staying in this position and, and guiding us to where we need to go? Um, I, don't, I don't really have any new thoughts. It's going to be a really interesting period uh, to see... Uh, if he su- had already successfully realigned himself with Arteta and if they can develop a good working relationship 
um, you know, uh, he, they need to make sure the next few players don't come from Kia Jurabchin unless Edu wants those fucking headlines. And I don't think he does. Um, and I don't think the club does. And they just need to lose this this stench around Raul. Um, and if Edu's smart, he's going to run a million miles an hour in the opposite direction from anything that looks like Raul's days and just leave him with that whole thing. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, it, the thing about Edu is he has a he already has something of a legacy with Arsenal and with Brazilian football. So he doesn't need this shit. Um, so he's going to want to come out of this looking professional, looking smart, uh, having done a job. Um, and it's a critical point in his career going forward. So I think uh, you would like to think you're going to have his full attention and focus on doing a successful job and really it's down to him per and Arteta right now uh, to pull in uh, all of Arsenal's uh, at least more more recent traditional strengths in terms of uh, development of players recruitment um, and and the, the the initial stages, you know, we were very early with the stats and the stat DNA, etc. We just never did enough with it. So we have all of that internally, and him and Arteta need to form an axis here and really start to leverage it. And some of our recent signings have actually been quite interesting in, in that area. So we just need to stop doing the... Uh, I kind of like Willian... But and if it were one deal, I'd be fine with it. But we need to stop doing the Williams and stop the Cedric Suarezes and start getting in 22, 23, 24 year olds. Um, somebody like a Gabriel, um, somebody like, uh, you know, bringing in your William Salibas, doing more and more of Kieran Tierney, all of those kinds of deals. Uh, maybe they should consider holding on to Ainsley, Maitland, Niles. Um, or whatever, but they need to, 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 it, it can be subtle adjustments that make all the difference. So they've just got a course correct here, and then we'll find out over time whether Edu's the, the right stuff, whether he's bright enough, whether he's smart enough. But, you know, I, I, I liked it as an appointment, and uh, he's had an interesting year to gain experience and understanding, and hopefully he's nicely separated from this Raul stuff even if it's not in our minds. Yeah, and look, I think for me, when I look at someone like Edu and I say, you know, can he do the job? Can he lead us forward? I don't know enough about him yeah. at Arsenal and admittedly about him, you know, at, at Corinthians and, and the Brazil national team, but Tim schooled me on that, which was great, um, to, to know for sure. I know that he had a, a connection with Raul and a connection with Kia and those connections implicate him by association, but that doesn't mean that there's any problem there. I mean, look, I want to be clear about something. It, it could be the case that Tim Lewis came in and the club looked at it and they said, you know, the way Raul is doing this just doesn't make sense. We don't need him. He There's a lot of waste involved in this model. It doesn't have to be unsavory. It doesn't have to be uh, illegal. It doesn't even have to be unethical. It could just be wasteful. 
It could just have not been the most optimal way to use our resources. He may have just been running could a playbook. Just been culture clash. Yeah, running a playbook from from Barcelona that maybe Barcelona fans might say was a huge problem there, but is an even greater problem at a club like ours with our resource issues, especially post COVID. And and maybe free of that, the need to take that style approach or the the urging to take that approach, the pressure to take that approach, Edu can can modernize as as Clive said. You know, the other thing I want to make clear is look. Clive said it, we're supporters. And I think as supporters, there's always going to be a a subset of us that want to see the best reason a club is doing something, that want to defend every action the club takes because we love the club and believing the club is good is better than believing the club is bad and dumb. I don't like believing the club is bad or dumb, but I am open to admitting the club is bad or dumb if they seem to be doing bad or dumb things. And so I look at deals whether it's the Cedric deal, whether it's the Pablo Marie deal, whether it's signing Emery and wanting to give him another contract in the summer, whether it's the Louise deal, whether it's the Willian deal, any one of those things could be explained in a way that you can that you can rationalize. I may not agree with the rationalization, but you could do it. Any two of those things, any three of those things, and in isolation, all of them can be rationalized. I get that. It's when you start to put them all together that a pattern emerges of a club doing things that don't look efficient, that don't look sensible. And at the very least, even if I love Arsenal Football Club and want to see the best possible version of what Arsenal Football Club is doing, when you connect all of these things that have happened in a short period of time, reportedly driven on by Raul and his influence, and they all look a little less than optimal, and then you add to that the Pepe transfer, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but just how it got to be as inflated as it did, and how the Bird Leno, I mean, uh, the athletic reporting, the Bird Leno, Burned Leno was an 18 million euro transfer that we turned into a t- or pound transfer that we turned into a 22 million pound transfer for reasons, because hashtag reasons. So it's impossible not to connect all these dots, put that all together, because all, all any of these things are is a piece of a puzzle. And you can only see if the puzzle makes sense when you put the pieces together. And putting the pieces together to me points to the fact that Raul was not, at, at best, not efficiently using the resources at the club to maximize the return on the playing side from incomings, from outgoings, from re-signings. And so for that reason, he had to go. And there doesn't have to be anything more than that. And that would be reason enough. And I think it is a positive development. Whether Adu has what it takes to move us forward, whether he will lean on the three legs of the stool, the, the relationship-led model, the the analytics-led model, the, the you know, sort of internal solutions model of an academy. We'll see. We'll see if he does that. And hopefully he will, and hopefully we'll get better. Let's move off of this because there are still deals to be done. The two big deals right now that are at the forefront of the news are the Aubameyang re-signing and the Gabrielle signing. Let's start with Gabrielle. Clive, I mean, I think it is interesting. It certainly makes me question the Pablo Marie deal a little more that we are now yeah. looking at another young, left-footed unit of a center back right after we signed Pablo Marie. Again, another deal that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially in light of this. So how do you feel about the fact that we seem to be interested in this guy, both in terms of just the numbers we have at center back? I mean, Giant Gooner in the Discord did a whole data review of Gabriel to give you an idea what kind of player he is by the numbers. I think he's kind of an exciting prospect, and I can get behind us getting him. We have a lot of center backs. And I don't know that we can we can't move Mustafi. We now aren't moving Louise. Marie just got here. He's not going anywhere. Socrates doesn't seem to want to go anywhere. Uh maybe Chambers and Holding will go out. Obviously, we have Saliba coming in. Adding another one, it's a log jam. So explain to me the thought behind this. You can t- 
talk about being excited about the player, which is certainly fine, but also just the the sort of squad building strategy side of going after another left-footed center back to add to what is starting to look like pretty bloated numbers. Yeah, you know me, I can mostly always find a positive, but it, it reminds me of Lacazette and the Bamiyang following each other six months after each other. It just looks stupid. And it just goes back to your point about waste and inefficiency, and that's what we seem to be doing. There are rumours that we wanted Gabriel in, Jan- in January, and we ended up going for Marie. Marie I like, but he's not super quick. I, I do like him. He can easily turn out to be a middle of a three centre back, no problem. He can play on the left, no problem. But Gabriel potentially is going to be much better. So if you ask me to choose which one I choose, I choose Gabriel every day of the week. But we are here we are again with two lefty centre backs. We don't know the plan. Here we are again with Cedric. We don't know the plan, but if we got, why do you have to get Cedric six months early and pay his wages and then sign him? What's the point of having his agent in your pocket if you're going to take him six months earlier than you should do? What's the point? You know, and then, but if we got him in the summer when we should have done for free, the wages are not too bad and we sell Kalashini, you think, well, that makes sense. You know, we get some cash money back and we got a fullback and go both sides, but it just looks like waste. And we're doing, we've seen we're doing this again. I do like this player, and I'm not just saying that because of my wonderful YouTube scouting. He's been out there a little while, and he has got some real, real potential, real speed, the sort of player that I like. I like the centre-backs to be the fastest players on the pitch. I don't want to look at them from behind the city worrying what Mane and and Salah are going to do to them. You know, the future of um, Saliba and Gabriel, if we do get him, it's still an if. Um... I fancy them to run with anybody. So that's what we need to be doing. You know, if you want to play a back four, you don't want to look back there scared, wondering what's going to happen. We haven't had that for a long, long, long time. But that's a good thing. But again, we do not look efficient. And I am, I, I think what you said there, it was absolutely brilliant. I am tired of looking at Arsenal with sceptical eyes. I really am. It's, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I want us to be better than this. I don't want to be looking at this club and wondering if they're stupid or not. Because every time I look at the stupid option, that's where we end up being. <laughs> Tell me how you really it's feel. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, it's true, isn't it? You know, we, you know, we end up we end up on the stupid side of the scale, and I want us to be on the right side of the scale. We got some work to do, right? We know that. We've got a logjam there. We know that. We've been trying to pretend to ourselves that holding chambers are good enough. They haven't been for a long time. They never will be. Not for us. Right? They never will be. Socrates, his his welcome is now done. Of all those centre backs, Mustafi was always the best one. I know he had some moments of um well, <laughs> wonderment, shall we say. But um he is he is the better player. But he's in the last year of his contract and I'm not seeing anyone offer him a new one, so he has to go. And so we've got a problem. We've got a, we have got a log down yeah. there, and um, and so David Luiz is not going anywhere. But we just got to do the work, haven't we? We've got to do the work. And what what disappoints me about these agents being around is agents do two jobs. They don't just bring players in; they get players out. So who's doing that for us? You know, who's doing that for us? I don't see that at the moment. But early days, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, well, very very early days of the next new Arsenal. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Paul. You want this player? Um, so I've watched about uh, uh, a game and a half of them. I actually watched uh, last night. I watched the Lyon game from the end of uh, their, this season. Um, and we've just seen Lyon in action, and they lined up with their three at the back. And so um, 
uh, our boy Gabriel was marking Musa Dembele and did a very good job on him. Um, my dog agrees. Mm. Um, but uh, I think he looks good, maybe very good. He's certainly big, uh, but he's not huge. <laughs> That's stats. Stats. Stats section. No, no. We're taking, we're no, taking no. Scott's stats section. He's big. <laughs> Piss off. <laughs> right, anyway, he's big, he's not huge. So you'll see him up against forwards, and he's not necessarily dwarfing them. He's very mobile. Um, he, he seems to really like the challenge, the, the one-on-one owning his guy. So he looks suited to playing with two center backs, not three. Um, but that's not to say he can't play in a three. Obviously he, he's a left footer, so he could well play in the three, but he certainly seems suited to playing with two center backs at the back. Um, he's okay on the ball, maybe goodish, but he's no Virgil van Dyke. He doesn't look as comfortable, but he does okay with it. And they seem to trust him taking free kicks from, from a little deeper, uh, kind of lobbing the ball uh, into the front line, attacking the box. Um, and he does some distribution from the back, which is, you know, hit and miss. Um, so I like him. I don't think, I think the price, as Clive said, is a, about where it should be. Maybe it's a little high, but that's that's just what it is when you want to go after, you know, the age he's at. Um, this is the kind of signing we should be making. I, I don't know if he's great, but he looks very good. Uh, and he certainly seems to have the right mentality. He, he seems like a little bit of a throwback um, center back in that he just really fucking loves defending. Um, and, you know, they play with a very high lo- line um, when they can, Lille, and they did against Lyon, against a couple of strikers. And, uh, you know, he, he's very good on recovery runs and bumping and, and, and bashing his man. So... Uh, he'll suit us when we want to play with two center backs and a high line. I think he'll do a very good job for us. Clive, jump in yeah, before I say something yeah, stupid. I, I just want to. Uh, it's something I, I did look at Saliba and Gabriel actually because they are sort of a partnership in my mind. I've had a couple of partnerships. I'd love to see Party and, and Mark Rocker in centre midfield, and I've always had this little idea of Saliba and Gabriel at the back and. And what I've noticed is something to look out for now. If you watch Saliba when he's, when he's tackling on, say, the right-hand side, what he does is he tackles with his front foot, which is really good. So he takes the ball away from you with the foot that's nearest the ball. So whatever side you're on, he's tackling. So if he's on the, if he's on the right-hand side, he tackles with his left foot straight into you. If he's on the, if he's on the, the left-hand side of the defence, he tackles with his right foot. If you watch Gabriel, he tackles with his left foot all the time. A lot of that time, that's on your back foot. And that is more risky because you're traveling a bigger distance where the ball is. So he is somebody that's very sharp-footed. So he waits for you to make the move. Then he takes it from you. Whereas Saliba just said, I'm having that, son. You've just lost it. I'm taking it out of your pocket. You don't know. You don't know I'm coming. He takes it very early. It's an interesting technical thing. I always tell players... Always take your front foot, tackle the ball with the leg that's nearest the ball because you, less bad things can happen. It's just something I've noticed. He is incredibly one-footed, Gabriel, and his tackling is excellent. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just a little technical thing. I hope it works out. I hope it works out. I really do because I like the idea of it, and I think it could be something we could really look forward to going forward. Yeah, I know uh, Mohammed did a scouting report on him for patrons uh, as part of our squad-building pod 
two-part series, and I believe he said he was worried he wasn't sure his hips were fluid enough. Clive, does this, yeah, does this make any sense? He's, yeah, you're just he's talking very about, stiff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I heard that. And what, so what you teach uh, defenders to do, so, you know, they, they spend a lot of time with their legs bent, shuffling from side to side, and um, and it's something you got so, to try so to like get crabs, to. basically. Yeah, almost mm, like okay. that, right? Cool. That's they my contribution. You can they blog me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Sorry, go ahead. They've got to get down low. When they're going to contact, they're pushing up with their power, right? So you put, you get down low and you're pushing up. And when you, that's how you dispossess people. That's how you don't get moved. So when I see defenders going in straight, straight-legged, they can be moved. But they haven't got themselves set to, to, to counter any any weight that comes into their area. You just so described I, I, Rob I, Holding for me, by the way. <laughs> it, well, you know what, mate? As I said that, that's exactly who I was thinking of. So you just read my mind. Really? When people go on about his players, they, they don't know what they're looking at. I've got to say, they don't know what they're looking at. So um, so I thought Moat did a great job there. I thought, that's really smart. So I've been looking at that as well to see if I can see it in the same way. I don't see it as, as cutely as he did. But it's something to watch for, how he goes into contact, how he shuffles, how he moves across. Again, I don't think it's terminal with him because he's much more athletic. Well, very few people die from being bad defenders, to be fair. (laughs) So weirdly, Clive, I was watching his shuffling because it was quite, quite noticeable as he adjusts position. And, you know, a player is beginning to make that move where they're going to run at him. Maybe he's kind of pushed them over a little bit to his left side. I think his feet are really good. Uh, I I, yeah. I think he, I think you know we saw Zuma getting done by Obama. Yang yeah, I need to issue a correction. Straight, I, I was wrong. Straight. I did see Zuma's soul leave his body uh, when Obamiang left him yeah, for dead. So he did die from bad defending. He was yeah. terminal. Back to that movement. Do you see yeah. how straight his legs look to you? Yep. In yep. that he, movement, yeah. he couldn't adjust. Could he? He couldn't get the power. He nope. couldn't adjust, and that's the key for me. It's more like your legs. I didn't. I don't go to my eyes. Don't go to the hips. It's a very interesting way. Yeah, but to be fair, hips don't lie. So you should always try to pay attention to them if you can. Yeah. So I thought that was encouraging with Gabrielle when I was. It it was eye catching. I wasn't looking for it, but kind of hit me between the eyes. That guy really moves his feet when he's about to be run out, Mm. and I I thought he did. He really enjoys the one-on-one. Fast pull in the fast light yep. feet. Yep. Look, Ainsley McDonald's got the fastest feet in, in one on ones. He, I just he's like yeah. he's barely touching the ground. It's no accident these guys are good in one on ones. They know what they're doing. I, I will say this: I could get very excited about a Saliba Gabriel center back pairing for the future, and I think it's worth taking the gamble on that and having that partnership locked up for years or at least sixteen months until one of them fucks off to another bigger club. But like, um. It's just so weird because if you bring in Gabrielle and and having too many shit players is not a reason to not bring in a good one, okay? But like Chambers, Holding, Mustafi, Louise, Marie, Socrates, Saliba, and that's it. I think I covered it. Um, It's a logjam. What? <laughs> Mavropanos on loan. Mavropanos on loan, yeah. And to be fair, he's, he's played pretty well on loan. But, like, um, it, it's it's a big group. Now, granted, maybe we can get rid of Socrates. Maybe Chambers and Holding will both go. I certainly think bringing in another young center back doesn't bode well for either of their futures. But can you even sell either of them? So, like, it's a big group, and it's not a good group. So, strengthening it makes sense. It's just, uh, man, I mean, that is going to have to get pared we, down we, some we, way or another. We, we, They've got to sell. They've got to sell. So Chambers, Fulham are already looking at Chambers at 12 mil. I would go 15, and, and he's an injured player. So you know what? Take that. 
He's well, he was their player the season them. two seasons ago, right? So yeah, he's a known he's a known quantity to them. They like him. That just makes sense to me. Leeds are looking at holding, whether it's a loan or whether it's a sale. That again makes sense. It's Socrates and Mustafi really. What's going to happen there? And, and I'm, you know, one of them definitely should go for me. And um, and it would be good if it both. It mainly was a little bit exposed. So maybe that's something that happens in January. One of them goes. I don't know. But yeah. We got we got work to do, and it's obvious we we're gonna make the space because we got too many three star hotels. We've we been saying now for about two years. Incomings are exciting. Outgoings help you rebuild your squad, and the latter is something we have not had our eye on in, in, a, in a progressive and effective way over the years. Let's wrap up with this, Paul. Aubameyang. He tweeted it, so now we have to yeah. debate it. Was the hourglass half full or half empty? <laughs> uh, didn't. Balogun tweet the hourglass too. Yeah, well, Bal- so, all right. So Balogun's was probably half empty. Is my guess. Um, <laughs> this one's half full. I mean, he he tweeted it. Okay, his, his shirt is an Arsenal shirt at the moment, but it was an Arsenal shirt in the tweet. Um, it, it'd be very conspicuous if it was anything else. All the mood music is positive. The club seemed to be okay with the fact that the word going around is it's real close and the. The journals are all saying, you know, I think it was James Ollie and a couple of others are saying they're just waiting for him to get back from vacation so they can do some promotional stuff. Um, he's staying, I think, uh, at this stage. So the can I ask you a question not, then? Can, yeah, we're okay. not hearing about him going anywhere else, so I think he's staying. Um, give me your, out of a percentage of 100, because I, I don't think 10 gives you enough room for nuance. Out of a hundred percent sure that him resigning is the right move for us, where what percentage are you convinced that we should be doing this? Ooh. Given where we're at right now, it's probably like seventy percent. It's the right thing to do. Had we got our shit together a couple of months ago and had an exit strategy, I would think this was 35% the right thing to do. But I don't think we have anywhere else to go right now. We're n- we lose him, uh, we maybe lose everything, and we lose our coach. So from the standpoint of locking in the gains we have in the direction, everything's built around this guy, all the plans are built around him, and we're a mess. So to go a completely different way, we're miles away from fixing our problems. Unless we got that Scottish lad or something in, uh, you know, if, if we had another way to go, uh, it might be the right thing to still to be brave. Um, so I guess it's pretty close to 50, 50, uh, given if we were organized and got our shit together, I think this is the wrong move, no matter how painful it would be to move away from a Yang. Love the guy. He's essential. We got no goals from anywhere else at the moment. Um, but it's really because we're weak that it's the probably the right move, not because we had our shit together. Yeah. Uh, Clive, I know there's one more thing you want to get to, but I don't want to move off the Aubameyang thing just as quickly. So for you out of 100%, uh, how sure are you it's the right thing to resign him? Uh, 100%. 100%, not, not, not even like 98%? Okay. Out of keep, a ta- he thinking. didn't have enough room for the nuance, Elliot. Out of <laughs> out a 1,000%. <of> <laughs> okay, I'll go 98 just to please you, right? Thank but, you. <laughs> You you need that player, so it allows you to to develop people in other areas. As simple as that, because you're going to get 20, 20 to twenty five goals, and that allows you to get a young centre back from 
from France. You know he's going to be good, but he might cost you a goal or two. As another, we've got another centre-back from France. He might cost you a goal or two as he's settling down. While that's happening, make sure you're scoring them at the other end. So I can see Arsenal throwing experience at the top end to allow them to build from the back door. And I think that's a really smart way to do it. That's a strategy you should do. So for me, Aubameyang has to stay. We got discussions around where he should play, and I, we know what we all think, and how we support him, and how we put him in armchair, and how he protects his legs for the next two years. But he has to stay, for sure. Mm. I guess, so So here, here's the way I feel about it, right? Just really simple. I'm At one point, I was probably like 25% sure it was the right move, and now I'm probably like 85% sure it's the right move. In general, I think if you can avoid giving expensive new contracts to 31-year-old players, you should just avoid it in general. Like, I don't think there are a lot of situations from a squad-building standpoint where you where you give a 31-year-old a big new contract, especially when you finished eighth in the league. Because you're basically saying, we're not very good. We had a pretty bad season. And now we're going to commit huge resources over many years to an aging player who clearly didn't get us where we want to go. There's one exception, and it's probably goals. You just can't get anywhere without goals, and we have no one else that scores them. And I mean, even getting, as we saw with Pepe, you know, 10 goals and six assists can cost you 72 million pounds, even if it shouldn't have. Um, Goals are expensive. They're not easy to come by. And if you want a guy who is a proven goal scorer in pre-prime or prime age, get out your checkbook, because, you know, Usmani Dembele was, what, $100 million? You know, I mean, it is, and, and that didn't turn out so great. So it's proof that it none of it's a sure thing. There probably isn't a sure thing out there we can afford. Um, could we get the guy from, I guess it was Rangers, that Muhammad identified in the pod? And, uh, Celtic. A Celtic. Hudson uh, Edward. Edward, right? I mean, yep, that would be exciting. Are there some exciting strikers? There are. Should we get them too? We probably should. I, I've come around to the idea that that re-signing this guy is as close as you get to a sure thing of a goal return. I just, the the thing that keeps me from being the 98% that you are, Clive, and I'm surprised you didn't go to 100%, frankly, um, is age curves are tricky. You can give me a narrative of why he will age better than other players. You can tell me about the other players that are scoring goals all across Europe who are in their 30s, whether it's Vardy or... um, uh, Lewandowski. Well, Lewandowski, obviously Messi and Ronaldo. There's Icardi, right? Suarez. Icardi's in his 30s, right? Suarez. Well, Suarez is in decline, I think you'd say. And Vardy is clearly in decline. Statistically, it, it, it looks that way uh, from advanced metric standpoint. But, like, the thing you fear is the cliff. Is he plays 18 games next season and he's got hamstring problems. Um, then the second season, he just never gets back quite to his best and, and he doesn't have the explosiveness or the runs aren't timing quite right. I, I mean, look... We see, Can I give you another view? Well, hang on, because I just want to say, I'm not saying that's what will happen. I'm saying that's the panic, that, that you wind up going, gosh, we gave him the contract and literally the next season the age cliff came from. I, I totally understand that it might not happen, which is why I'm 85% sure we have to do this anyway. But good clubs rarely give 31-year-olds new contracts. Not, I'm not saying they never do. They rarely do. In this case, because of the number of goals he scores and the lack of goal scoring we have in other places and the inability to go out and buy a replacement that makes any sense. You know, if we had a Coutinho, we could so- we could sell for $120 million. 
I would not re-sign Aubameyang. I'd go into the market and try to get something really explosive uh, closer to the beginning of the prime. But that's not what we have, so we have no way to replace him. That was a very, very wordy response. And Clive, you can now jump in and correct it. No, no. I never argue your view on this because I, I also want to see the positives. Look, while I look at him physically, I just think he's unique physically. He's, he's, he's definitely there. He's still, and what we have now, we've got all the training data, we've got all the numbers, we've got all the injury data. So we know what we're doing. Right, we know what we're doing when it comes to that, and he is to, basically he's been recorded as the fastest player in the Premier League last season. So there you go. Right, so that's a good thing. And what you do get when someone gets older, what normally happens when you get older, is you learn the game. Just when you really learn the game, your body lets you down. Right, so I tell you, I'm a brilliant footballer now, but I can't run. Hmm. Right, so yeah, smart. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and it's no, it's no coincidence. A lot of the best scorers across Europe are slightly older. They're who've looked after themselves. Now, sports science is changing. It really is. Liverpool are potentially about to buy Thiago at 29. They wouldn't be doing that. He's a unique player statistically. He's a he's going to bring something to their team. Physically, he's excellent. It's it, They wouldn't be doing that. So we have to open our minds up to there are exceptions to the rule. Our golden boot winner, Vardy, has just been 33. Right? I know he had a, a different career when he was younger, so he hasn't got as many miles on the clock. It happens. Ian Wright's another good example. It happens. You do get exceptions, and this guy is not just an exception to the rule from a footballing perspective, in my opinion. It's what he brings from a personality perspective to the club to addressing him. I think it's this one I can wear just about, given where we are in our development. Yeah. Paul, final thought on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, my my heart says, my eye says this guy's a special player. And it'll be okay. Um, I think there's very few worldies out there. Uh, I still think we're doing this. If we were well run, we wouldn't be doing this. If we were, this is a, a decision made from a weak position, but we got to do it because the the risk across the team, the squad, the manager, and the club uh, of the downside. Um, if if we lost him and couldn't replace those goals, um, is it would be catastrophic. So this is one more long-term big deal for an aging player. But I think we got to do it given uh, how thin the ice we're on. But yeah, I think he's a special player and a special athlete. And it's probably going to be okay for at least the first two years of his contract. Okay, before we say goodbye, Clive has forced me to discuss something I know nothing about. You can say, how is that different from any other part of the podcast? What is a Tim Akinola, Clive? Well, it's a, it's a new signing that we've made. It's we've made a, a signing. That's been, it's news to me. It's a player that's been let go from Huddersfield Town. And the reason why I think this is quite significant is, is that Edu has done a recruitment review of our academy. And we started to bring in a certain type of player into that academy and the way it's been brought in. We were talking earlier about what's it going to look like going forward in the first team, for example. Well, maybe there is a, there's something going on in the academy that's slightly changing how we're recruiting people and the ages how we're recruiting people. That's a different way, right? And that could be a prelude to what we actually do using videos, etc. I mean, I, shock. Premier League club uses videos. No big deal, right? But there is more to this and our reach and our scouting reach at the academy level, and how aware we are of these players that are available for nothing. On this, for example, 
we ended up sending a player to Huddersfield in uh, Smith Road. We know the Cowley brothers. I know they're not there anymore. And suddenly we end up getting a player from from Huddersfield who was linked to those guys. That's how football works. Don't know if the player's any good. Looks like a Cockerland lookalike to me from a playing perspective. But he may be the the bodyguard we need for Miguel Aziz to allow him to develop. And I'm interested to watch the academy recruitment strategy going forward because I think it could be a prelude to what we do in the first team. Let's see if I'm right. But I think that's a very interesting move. George Lewis is another interesting move. How we integrate these players into the academy environment. Are we going to get a more of a a Brentford-style B-team academy-type environment where we really are developing these players to move on? Let's see what we do. But I think there's some real options there, how we integrate these players, how we're looking at the London market. I think, what's this space on that? I think you might learn a lot more looking at the academy going forward. Yeah, I think we should uh, leave it there. Obviously, we'll cover the, the newest breaking news on our next pod in seven minutes. Um, and then after that's recorded, uh, when the latest breaking news comes out after that, we'll have another pod later this evening and then four more tomorrow. Uh, because this club is committed to the news cycle. I think it is fair to say. Uh, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Can't keep up with this club. You cannot match this club for sheer hashtag content. And we love them for it. Uh, and we love you for listening, as I always say. So... We'll wait and see. We'll keep our ears close to the gerbil. We'll keep our... That sounded weird. If you don't get that, it's a Twitter thing. It's not a sex thing. Uh, we'll keep our ear close to the ground. We'll try to see what's going on. We'll, we'll suss out the latest information. And Why would it be a sex thing? Oh, I'll God, let you Google it, Paul. Idiot. I'll let you Google it. You Google it. It's all you. NSFW. That's all I'm saying. My name is Alex Smithy. Black Man Twitter. Yankee Gunner. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal Tan Transfer Window New. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.